This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. When you're charged with a crime and you hear the words, life, that possibility of parole gives you that glimmer of hope. That glimmer that one day, if you do the right thing, and you serve your time, and you don't get any trouble, you'll see the outside world again. And what we have found out is that a lot of people have that glimmer of hope just to know that year by year, that little glimmer of hope turns to darkness. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Preston Cornish, victim of the first crime. Donna Broche, other victim from the first crime. Lewis Thomas, victim of the second crime. Eugene Cole, other victim of the second crime. Ronald Brown, Arena's boyfriend and co-defendant. Michael Coffey, another co-defendant. And Arena Pretty, our murderess. Arena Jewel Pretty was born on the 21st night of September in 1959 in Baltimore, Maryland. While growing up, her mom was a victim of abuse, and the cycle that we all know, she ended up becoming the abuser. Irena was abused by her mother, as well as other close family members. And at some point, she moved out of her mom's house into her grandmother's house, still in Baltimore. I was trying to say it like Christiana Rock, still in Baltimore. She was the type of kid that never really got real love or attention or acknowledgement or those lovey feeling things that kids are supposed to get. So she decided that she was going to try and find that love and attention and caring and nurturing from somewhere else. She started making new friends. And one day when she was 15 years old, she found out she was pregnant. Now, I'm sure Irena was nervous about being a young mom in a city that doesn't really have structures in place to help young mothers. I mean, this is this is like 74, 75 at the moment. But either way, she decides to have her baby. And in 1975, she had her daughter, Keisha. 
after she had the baby, she decided to get a job so that she could make some money. You know, she's trying to be a great mother. She didn't want to rely on her mother. She didn't want to rely on her grandmother for money or food or anything else. And, you know, she had a baby girl to take care of. So she got herself a job at the Northwest Baltimore's Lewis's Grocery Store, which is like 3401 Reistertown Road. So that was Lewis's groceries and used appliances. When she worked there, she worked the cash register. She swept. She helped customers. She did the things that people do at grocery stores, take out the trash, whatever she was supposed to do. A little while after working at Lewis's grocery store, 17-year-old Arena met a man named Ronald Brown. Now, Ronald was a guy from around the way. He was five years older than her. And after they met, Arena was like, yes. Whatever you say that we're going to do, we're going to do. And at first, it seemed like it was really love, like they were really having this deep connection with each other. But then Ronald became extremely abusive. And of course, he's manipulating her. You know, this is what love is. This is what love is supposed to be. And love from everybody else in her life seemed the same way. So, of course, she thinks he's telling the truth. Now, Ronald, he was doing a whole bunch of stupid shit, carjacking, stealing shit from stores, hitting licks off people, doing whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And every time that he would go, he would be making sure that Irena was with him. You know, you with me, you a ride or die, then baby, prove it. At this point, you know, he was doing all these things, but he was also providing for her and Keisha. So you seem like, even though it's not a great situation, it seems like a better situation than most. And at the end of the day, she felt like, That was love, and that was the love that she deserved. On February 26, 1978, Ronald and his friend Michael Coffey decided that they were going to go rob a social worker and his girlfriend at their home. So around 9 p.m., Michael and Ronald, they go to Preston Cornish and Donna Broch's house. Now, they go in through the back door, and they rush the couple, pointing guns at them, yelling at them and telling them they need to cooperate. Look, you're going to do what we tell you to do, and you're going to do it now, all right? Everybody sit down, shut up. They tie him up, and they proceed to just go through the house. They're looking for stuff to steal. They're like, ooh, stereo, we're going to take that. Oh, look, they got some weed, we're going to take that. Preston's like, y'all not about to come up in my home and just do whatever. My girl here, y'all not about to disrespect our space like this. So he puts up a fight. Then Ronald grabs a knife, and he stabs Donna in the neck and in the back. Ronald then shoots Preston in the head twice and Donna in the back of the head once. Michael continues to grab the loot, rounding everything up, and Ronald picks up a large television set and repeatedly drops it on both Preston and Donna, picking it up, dropping it, picking it up, dropping it. They leave the victims there and they decide to steal Preston's 1976 for Granada and drive themselves to Arena's house. When they get to Arena's house or her grandma's house, Ronald's all bloodied up and tells Arena that she needs to get rid of the guns they use. And what does Arena say? Okay. 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 So the following day, February 27th, Donna's dad hasn't heard anything from her all night. So he's like, I'll just pull up and see what's going on. He finds his daughter Donna and her fiancé Preston. Now... Surprisingly enough, Donna is still alive. He calls 911 soon after finding her body, and an ambulance rushes there to take Donna to the hospital. Now, Preston, on the other hand, was not so lucky. Preston died when the ambulance got there. Preston was dead when the ambulance got there. 
The police arrive and they can clearly see the signs of struggle all over the living room. Everything's turned over, blood's everywhere. It's no secret that a crime has gone down here. There's also a missing stereo and they quickly figure out his car is missing too. So we're not in today's time, it's 1978, so DNA is not a thing at this point. So they were not able to match through DNA. Right, because DNA wasn't invented until, like, 1984 or some shit. Right. So all they have is eyewitness statements to go off of and to wait for Donna to wake up from her coma. Now, she's in a coma because when they got to the hospital, they induced her so that she could recover and heal from being shot in the head and stabbed. The homicide detectives Richard Elwood and Mike Milks went talking around to people, but nobody really saw anything. Nobody really knows what happened. A month goes by after this robbery shooting, and the police still have no leads. Now, you'd think things are going pretty well. They're in the safe and clear. But Raina has yet to get rid of the guns. A day later, on April 6, 1978, around 1.30 a.m., Raina shows up at her old job, Louis' Grocery, and used appliance. Now, Louis, her old boss and the store owner, he was known for keeping the store open late. He locked the door, of course, so that people, if you were outside, you couldn't get in. And if you needed to get in, you had to knock to get in because, you know, he was an older dude, not too old. He was only 41. He had four kids. He was known for being nice to the people around the neighborhood. I mean, the store was a place that everybody went to. It sold fruit, milk, cigarettes, candies, all the things that you needed, even even appliances. So he was kind of a well-known dude because of the store, right? That night, he was also with an employee, Eugene Cole. Arana shows up at the store. She knocks on the door. They look out the window. They're like, oh, shit, it's Arana. They go and happily let her in because they know her. She used to work there. She's a great girl. When she got in the store, she began talking about how she needed a new washer. And he's like, oh, you know I got washers around here. Let me show you the ones back here. Girl, you know to come after hours. You know during the day was crazy. Just chit-chatting, having a good time, enjoying each other's company, right? After a few minutes, Arena asked Lewis if her boyfriend and his friend could come in because they were going to help her take the washer back home. And Lewis is like, of course, You need people to help you take the washer back home. This big old machine, no worries. So he lets Michael and Ronald ride on into the store. As soon as they get in, they're immediately like, I don't know, get down. This is a robbery or some shit. And Arena is like, listen, listen, y'all just do what they say. Do what they say and nobody gets hurt. It just be killing me how you do your own people like that, like. I know that it's not your people, but he knew you enough to happily and joyfully make a sales pitch to you at one o'clock in the morning. Like, so Michael and Arena, they hold the two guys at the store at gunpoint and they escort them to the back room. When they get back there, Arena says, now lay on the floor. Nobody's going to get hurt. The two men lie down. They tie them up with electrical cord. And after the guys were tied up, the three decided that they were going to mosey through the store, see what they could find, get whatever they needed. But halfway through looking, Arena started getting really nervous and she started getting paranoid about what was going on. And she was like, you know, Ronald, I know what you're capable of. I saw what you did just a month ago and you've been beating my ass all the time. Right. And, you know, these 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 I know these people, I at least know one of these people. And so she starts freaking out. Right. She starts losing it after she freaks out. She decides that she's got to go. She needs to leave. 
And Ronald and Michael, they were like, if you want to leave and you want to bitch out, then you can bitch out. We going to finish what we started. So Arena leaves. And back in the store, Michael and Ronald empty the safe and the cash register. And they probably racked up about $300. After they took Eugene's wallet and Lewis's wallet and a gun that Lewis had at the store, after they got everything they wanted, Ronald then shoots Lewis three times in the back of the head and Michael shot Eugene one time in the head and they left the store. After they leave the store, they go straight to Arena's house, just like they did when they shot Preston and Donna. And at the house, they split the money with each other. They leave the house separately and they walk to their prospective homes. Why y'all had to come over to my house? Right. Y'all, I already bitched out. Right? I already said I ain't want none. Right. I already bitched out. You ain't got to come over here and split the money. Now, back at the store, somehow, by some sort of miracle, Eugene was able to untie himself, even though he still had a bullet wound in his head. He unties himself, he calls 911, and he's able to wait on the ambulance and the police to arrive. When the ambulance get there, they put Eugene onto his back, and of course, they take him to the hospital. He's in need of serious medical attention at this point. While he was in the ambulance being transferred to the hospital, he tells the medics that it was Arena's fault and he gave them all the details about her and everything that was going on. When he got to the hospital, they were able to determine that he was shot in the head. But the reason why he was alive was because the bullet stopped in his skull right before entering his brain. That's crazy. That's crazy. That is crazy. Now, Lewis Thomas was airlifted to Provident Hospital, and he was given emergency services, but unfortunately, he passed away at 4.12 in the morning due to being beaten and shot in the back of the head. Around 3 a.m., after hearing the reports of Eugene in the ambulance, the police were able to find out where Irena lived and issued a warrant for her arrest. Cops got to her house... At 2810 Hillsdale Avenue, Baltimore, around 3.30 a.m. to arrest her. And after searching her police, they find both wallets, cash, and checks made out to the grocery store, two handguns, and a spent cartridge. One was a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. An hour later, about 4 a.m., they find Ronald walking around, and then an hour after that, they find Michael walking around. They're both arrested and taken to the station to be questioned and fingerprinted. When they get to the station, the police had an epiphany, and they realized these are probably the same people from that crime that happened back in April. So they decide to see if Donna can ID these two, and she did. So they knew that Michael and Ronald were definitely the culprits. After, they just assumed that Irena was probably involved with one, so she was involved with the other, right? All three of them, Michael, Ronald, and Irena, were arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of assault with intent to murder, and two counts of robbery. They were all given a half-a-million-dollar bail, which none of them could pay, so they were all held at the city jail until trial. The police didn't need a confession from anyone because they had two count of two witnesses from two count of two separate crimes okay all three of them decided that they were just gonna plead out guilty tell the police what happened 
tell the prosecutor what happened and take whatever deal they can. Yeah, because at the time there was the death penalty in Baltimore, and with this public ass like, trial, wasn't looking good. It was like Let's this public ass trial. The the odds are stacked against me. The magic eight ball said not likely. You know that clip of that dude that was singing to the judge. They, I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and also, I wrote a song. Hello there, you're on her. I want to say I'm sorry for the things I've done. And I try and be stronger in this life I chose. But I want you to know that door I closed. In your honor, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. To my mother, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. To the victim, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, Your Honor, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Oh. Thank you, Your Honor. Streaming October 6th on Paramount Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery. Bloodlines. Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. So, like we said, there was no trial for this case. On September 19th, 1978, all co-defendants pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of assault with intent to murder, and two counts of robbery. So at sentencing, Prosecutor Gary S. Bernstein was like, listen, judge, give them life and give, do not give them the possibility of parole. I do not care if they are young. I mean, and they were young, 23, 21, and 18. Arena was the youngest at 18, and he was like, I don't care that they're young. No parole, absolutely whatsoever. But the Baltimore criminal court judge, Milton B. Allen, he gave them life with the possibility after 11 years. That doesn't seem like too, too bad, right? That means that the earliest that they could get out of prison is 1989. So after they were sentenced, they all went to their prospective prisons. Michael went to Western Correctional Institution. Ronald went to MCH. And Arena was sent to Maryland Correctional Institute for Women. And this was in Jessup, Maryland. For the first 20 years, Arena fought for appeals so hard that she just began to feel like it was never going to happen. It almost seemed like it was in vain. It was a waste of effort. Denial after denial, Arena becomes fed up. So in 2003, she sends a letter asking for him to execute her by lethal injection. She's tired of fighting. She's tired of wasting her life away. I mean, at that point, she was at like 25 years at that point. Right. She's trying to renege her plea deal, and they're like, no, you're going to have to stick it out. And she's like, at this point, I'm feeling bamboozled. They told me, take this plea deal, and I'll probably end up doing less time, but... I'm doing it all the time. She's like, but at I this wasn't... point, you do it. She did 25 years. I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. that's She's a full like, sentence. That's I a full murder sentence right there. there. When the gun went off, either of the times. But here Facts. I am with two murder charges. 
Since her time in prison, since 1978, she accomplished a lot. And she was really trying to show that she could be rehabilitated and she was working towards being a better person. Her total time there, she only had three infractions. She mentored other prisoners and assembled Braille books for the blind. And she was working with the Baltimore Braille Association. She got her associate's degree and then her bachelor's degree in sociology from Morgan State University. She completed courses in pre-employment, job readiness, personal computing, and introduction to databases. She was a data entry clerk for 20 years and served as a facilitator for multiple groups in the prison. She also helped train canines for service. She got several certificates of appreciation for her leadership roles in events and projects like self-help luncheons and Operation Smile. She talked other inmates out of fighting. She was she she was telling all these people, you know, do the time. Don't let the time do you. She wanted everybody to just... Sorry to cut you off. I was watching this YouTube video, and underneath it, there was a com- there was a comment from a girl. She was like, I was in there with her, and her first time in there, she was on... She was she got in for a smaller crime. She was like, oh, yeah. She said, Irina was like, oh, yeah, girl, you're going to be in here for a couple months. You're going to be out soon, whatever. She was like, and she was right. I was out. I was in and then I was out. She's like, and then I went back in. She's like, Irina just was telling me how she was just so disappointed in me for coming back. And I just, she was just so nice to talk to. She just really wanted the best out of everybody around her. She was definitely showing that she could be a performed person, showing that she could be better, wanted to be better, was preparing for life on the other side of this. In 2008, after serving 30 years, the Maryland Parole Board recommended that Irena be paroled. But Maryland, California, and Oklahoma have a special law, and this law says that the governors are allowed to deny parole even if the board recommends it. So in 2011, Irena's parole was rejected by Governor Martin O'Malley, a Democrat. Sorry, guys. Um, then in That's 2000— crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about politics up north. I ain't going to pretend like I do. Then in 2013, Ronald Brown dies in prison at the age of 58. Two years later, after serving 37 years in prison, Irena was recommended for parole again. Irena was recommended for parole again in 2015. But just like the one before, it was denied in 2018 by the current governor, Larry Hogan. This one is a Republican. I mean... Ain't nobody seen it for her, and I just don't understand why. So in 2015, Diane Sawyer, because she's doing the things that Diane Sawyer does, she does a piece called Women Behind Bars and the Families They Left Behind. And in this, she talks about women, their crime, and their families, and they get to visit. So in this short snippet that we get to meet arena her family her grandson how she just can't wait to be back with him and when they get together they're gonna do everything they're gonna be together all the time because you know she can't wait to hang out with her grandbaby for real because he ain't even a baby no more these pieces are meant to show like the humanity of these women that are behind bars in 2019, Michael's lawyers petitioned for him to be transferred to a rehab-like facility. Now, at this point, he's 64 years old. Remember, he was like 23 when they were sentenced. 
In Maryland, a person serving a prison sentence can request that they be committed to this like inpatient substance abuse treatment program in place of serving the life sentence. It's called a health general commitment. In order to obtain a general health commitment, an inmate with substance abuse problems must file a petition for evaluation by the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, them and with the sentencing court. They filed, tried to get the evaluation, denied. But he and his lawyers and his team, they actually just recently refiled in October of 2021. Now, of course, he's been in prison this whole time, but we know that drugs run rampant in prisons and people that have substance abuse issues can either start in prison, grow in prison, and not be properly treated in prison. Now, Back to Arena. In April of 2020, the women's prison that she was in got hit extremely hard with COVID, like extremely hard with COVID. They had more than 100 cases and about two deaths by April of 2020. Remember, we figured out about, we lost our jobs in March of 2020. And the prison already had two dead in April. At this time, I mean, this is like the original OG COVID. It was spreading like wildfire. I mean, there was no system put in place to keep people safe from each other, to keep people separated from each other. There was no system in place to keep everybody sanitized. Mask in prison, like people in prison, there was that was one of the last things they were able to get. So sometime in early April, Arena, who was 60 years old at the time, contracted COVID-19. But because of how old she was and her status in the prison, there was no way to isolate her and remember there's no such things as a vaccine at the time so she was just basically suffering and they had to transfer her to a hospital now her daughter Keisha did not know where her mother was at this point they were a family that still stayed very close to each other that kept in contact and Keisha did not know that her mother had been transported out transported out of the prison because she was extremely ill with coronavirus got a call from a friend from a former inmate who was in prison with her mom and she called and she tells her her that arena was sick and was taken from the prison and that everybody back there is worried about her immediately keisha is worried and she starts calling the warden where my mama at what's going on with her but he didn't respond or answer her for days days later she calls them back he does not answer. Two days later, he calls back and tells her that they can't tell her where her mother is. She says, what do you mean you can't tell me where my mama is? They said we rushed her to the hospital and she's expected to recover and we'll be back in the facility in a few days. But that's all the information we can give you. So now my mama's in the hospital? Are you still telling me you can't tell me where she's at? I get why they can't tell her because technically you could try to break her out of prison, right? right? But but like you should have told me ahead of time that she was going to a hospital or that she was sick and that she was this ill that she was being rushed to the hospital. I should at least be aware. I get I understand it's why not you something cannot I tell her through the grapevine. Exactly. There's my problem. Keep going, friend. I just, I couldn't wait till later. Go ahead. Keisha's, of course, rightfully pissed, and she calls Arena's lawyer, Lee Goodmark and Leela Meadows. 
They fight for about two weeks to get information on where Arena is. Three weeks in total, her family did not know where she was and if she was even actually alive. On May 15th of 2020, Keisha was finally able to talk to her mom on the phone. After that phone call, she went into overdrive trying to get her mom out of prison and in to safety health-wise. Like, uh, uh, mama, they got you messed up. They think they about to just have you out here, like, dying for no reason. No, mm-mm, it's done. You've been there too long. It's time for you to come home. And I'm about to raise some, I'm about to raise some real noise. Spitfire. She, she said, mama, don't you worry. I'm about to raise some real big noise. I'm telling you. So... Lee and Lila, her lawyers, were able to find out that due to privacy laws, staffing, and the way that the prison system is set up, that's what led to their inability to communicate with loved ones during the COVID or any hospitalization. The prison system said that the hospitals will notify the prison regional medical director if the inmate has a threat of imminent death and DNR orders are required. Then, and only then... Well, uh, next up can be notified, but at that point, you're telling me that they're dying. Not that they're sick, but we there's nothing really that we can do. They you said that, I think that COVID-19 in April of 2020 was imminent death? No, they did. It took them a long time to take it seriously. But it was—I lost my job in March of 2020. Broadway shut down in March of 2020. So in April of 2020— that's when I started migrating back down south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, COVID was reeled in. Mm-hmm. So they also said that the medical vendors, like the hospitals, provide updates on medical treatment information if the inmate has a complete release of information on file. It means like if they say, hey, this person is welcome to know what's going on to me, then you might have got some information. But Yo, my mind ain't fill out that form for you. Everybody's like, this bullshit. We don't even know to fill out this form. Why wouldn't you think you'd notify a loved one? Da, da, da. Right? Yeah, and her and her daughter were close, so there would be no reason that I would not want her to know if something important is happening to me inside of this prison. It was more like they were saying legalese just to kind of cover their asses because at this point, I know prisons were the last ones to take one of the last ones to take COVID seriously. I remember it being so bad for people in jail to the point where they stopped arresting people if it was like a nonviolent crime. It was like, okay, it's basically like you're already out on bail and you'll have a court yeah. date and don't fuck it up. But I don't they, you know it. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> but they... They weren't even trying to bring people into the prison because they knew it was a hot spot. For the remainder of 2020, Keisha, Irena's lawyers, and an advocacy group called the Aging People in Prison Campaign petitioned for Irena's release. They needed Maryland and the country to know that Irena went to prison at 18 and at 60 years old. She was still there. This made her Maryland's longest-serving female prisoner. And it was all unfair because she was sentenced with the possibility of parole, was a model inmate, and still never got it. I mean, she literally got two degrees. And remember, uh, you thought I forgot, shout-out to the HBCUs, Morgan State. Make sure everybody straight. Hey, y'all can <laughs> have that one for free. Lee, her lawyer, asked, when people are sentenced to sentences with the possibility of, of parole, 
there is this idea that if they hold up their end of what they're supposed to do, of what their statutes and regulation and laws say, if you go to prison and you do the following things, you can rejoin the community one day. If we're serious about them showing us that they've been rehabilitated and that they can come out into society and do good, then we then we ought to be a mechanism for the people to be able to do that. Even with all of her accolades, all her achievements, they still would not free her from a cage. Even with her being remorseful, nothing. When the victim's family heard about Irena petitioning for release, they started a petition against her release, stating that it was her decisions that led to the death of Preston and Lewis. Through all of that, Arena's case and the COVID mistreatment also caught the attention of the House Speaker Adrian Jones and Delegate Charlotte Crunchfield. They joined together to create legislation and then asked the governor to use his clemency power to release Arena. On May 20th, 2020, 50 lawmakers in Maryland signed a letter to Governor Larry Hogan requesting her release. The state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, was a part of the letter and said, quote, Miss Pretty has served 42 years in prison. She had not only redeemed herself, but exemplifies the need for second chances in our criminal justice system. And while we recognize the hurt and the trauma that lives every day with the survivors of this unfortunate incident, we are committed to ensuring restorative support as they heal. The letter also detailed all the support Arena will have if Governor Hogan decided to release her. She will have support from the Marion House, which is a year-long residential transition program that provides very intense case management services, weekly counseling, job readiness, make sure that she's ready for that transition back out into the real world. And also, she is going to be welcomed into the loving arms of her daughter, her son-in-law, her three grandchildren, as well as having the respect and honor and welcome from 56 senators, delegates, and speakers of the House that signed. Now, the letter, it did not catch the attention of the governor. He did not care. But it did catch the attention of Circuit Court Judge Yvette Bryan. After she reviewed Arena's case and her age and the status of COVID in prison, she changed her sentence and instead sentenced her to time served and ordered her to be released on probation for five years. That's some checks and balances for you, boy. <laughs> a, a judge really can come in and that's why having the right judge and Yvette Bryant, I know that's a black judge. That's my mama middle name. Circuit Court for Baltimore City. That's some checks and balances for you. That's the only time. Y'all, it took you a while. So on December 14th, 2020, Arena. Jewel Pretty was released from the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women in Jessup, Maryland. After more than 42 years in prison, she was going home. After her release, Arena's lawyers asked for privacy and said, Miss Pretty's release was the result of many years of advocacy. We are grateful to Marilyn Mosby and the Baltimore State's Attorney's Office that ultimately agreed that Miss Pretty was worthy of the mercy the court exercise in her resentencing they didn't i did not see a thank you for judge yvette bryant but today arena jewel pretty lives with her daughter keisha 
her son-in-law, James, and their three children, Arena's grandchildren. She goes to church. She gives back to the neighborhood with her daughter. And most importantly, she's free. Amen. All right, y'all. It is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I ain't do it, but if I did, Raina, get rid of that shit. Nah, I ain't do it if I did. I'm never taking that shit. <laughs> but clearly, clearly you didn't have... A, I, I can understand if you did not have a choice in taking that shit, because why are y'all just popping up at my grandma's house with a bloody gun? Why are you just and telling me I have to take it? And you're already abusive, so I get why you took it. I do. I can. I'm. I can. I'm a reasonable person. Most people that listen to this podcast say I'm not, but I am. <laughs> but then you got to get rid of it. Then leave. Then leave. Get that shit. Throw it in the lake. Then leave. All right. You a Merlin? Throw it in the ocean. Then leave. I ain't do it, but if I did, I'm not choosing nobody who got a connection to me. Correct. We're not tracing it back. Good one. I ain't do it, but if I did, I think some of those charges I would have taken to trial. I would have been very specific about the charges that I took to trial. I think that the murder against, what's his name, Preston? Now let me, okay, so here are all her charges. Two counts of first-degree murder. I would have taken the one against Preston to trial. They came to your house afterwards, and you definitely did have the weapons, but first-degree murder is saying that you premeditated this murder, you you executed it, or you helped with the execution of it. You had something to do with the pre-planning, and I feel like you could have taken that to trial and got off on that. Lewis, I don't know. Maybe you could have taken that one to trial, too, because at the end of the day, you did bitch out. I had the intention, but then I bitched out. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe you wouldn't have gotten first-degree murder. Maybe you would have got a lesser-degree murder. Maybe conspiracy to commit murder. Conspiracy to commit murder. Even felony murder, because if you're committing a crime and someone else's murder takes place and you didn't do it, that's still felony, you know what I'm saying? So maybe you could have got another murder. The next two charges, two counts of assault with intent to murder. You did not assault Preston or Donna because you weren't there. So you couldn't have assaulted them. You did put, you did kind of push them to the back room with the gun. So maybe you would have got, maybe you would have got assault on that one. Or maybe that's not even assault. I don't know. Well, you maybe, maybe you would have got assault with that. With intent to murder, but you didn't murder. It was intent, right? And then two counts of robbery. You didn't rob Preston. You didn't rob them, but also, girl, and you didn't rob the other ones, but girl, if they brought the money and all the stuff to your house, they took the money, they left you with a few checks that you could have just ripped up, and they left you with the wallets with the IDs. Girl, get rid of that. Like, what did you do? To put it under your bed or something? Girl, get rid of it. So I do feel like a lot of these charges, she should have been advised on a way to properly take this to trial or pop and somebody could have properly retrial this because I don't feel like all of, I feel like these charges were excessive. Like I get having some type of murder charge. I get one of the assault charges. I can get one of the robbery charges, but that's still, that's like cutting your charges in half right there. I thought it was a good job to keep staying in the media and she was doing that a lot. Like. 
the media is going to be your best friend, even with the Diane Sawyer piece and talking to these news outlets when you're trying to get off and when you're trying to get out of prison, public sympathy is the way to go. So, and Keisha, girl, you acted quick. When I tell you, she she said God closes a door and opens a window. She saw that window with COVID and it's an unfortunate thing that happened, but she said, I'm about to get my mama out. And she, you, you rallied, you did that thing. I'm not, pat on your back, girl. And I hope that, I hope that she just enjoys the rest of her life. Like we see all these people that come out of prison and and it's hard because the whole world has changed. And I just hope that you still, she's still going to have the nightmares of everything that happened. She's still going to remember everything that happened beforehand, but hopefully she can be a case that the prison system is has the ability to do its job if it's done correctly. Yeah, if everybody holds up their end of the deal and treats people like people. Exactly. Um, parole or no parole? Parole, parole, parole. Right, she's out, but I definitely would have given her parole earlier. Now, I will say that I probably wouldn't have given her parole after the first 11 years. I might have had to really see maybe the first 15 her second parole like especially if you pled if especially I'm putting myself in the position of a parole board that is looking at two murder charges two assault with intent to murder and two robbery charges right yeah I'm not looking at it as you could have you should have took somebody's trial yeah I think that I would have after the 11 years I probably would have been like "Mm, that's a little light let's do 15 talk to me after 15 years and definitely after 25. Like, 25, that's when I'm going to give... I feel like 25 is the time to give anybody a good heart looking at. And mm-hmm. the thing was, she had the she had the accolades. Yeah. I just love it. I love it. It's time for some reviews. Let me see if I can pull one out of the um, inbox. Let me see. Exactly People be emailing us reviews. You can email. Okay, this one is from cj hey cj this one actually came in our email it says marat and taz i left you guys a review but i needed to tell you guys how much i love y'all everything from y'all's dynamic and relationship with each other to the way y'all tell stories and the commentary references and all that this is really what i've been looking for in a podcast I love Mariah singing and the theater references are on point. Fellow theater kid here, so I'm in love over here. Thank you so much. And Taz's voice is so soothing, and her commentary is always exactly what I'm thinking. I finished the Genesis Bradley episode last night at work, and I kind of wanted to share my experience with y'all. I love what you said about needing to find more resources for women surrounding birth slash maternal health. Last year, I went through two ectopic pregnancies with two different doctors, and the handling of them both were night and day. After the first one, I was given two weeks off of work and just kind of left to deal with it after surgery. This was my normal OB that I had been seeing for over a year at this point. After the second, it happened nine months after the first and was with an OB I didn't know. I was using a midwife and met the doctor in the hospital right before surgery. I was given time off from work, prescribed meds for my mental health during the process, and was sent to a therapist twice a week for birthing trauma counseling. Hmm. I know telling y'all doesn't really 
help anything, but I feel like sometimes it just comes down to who gives a fuck about you and who's just trying to do their job and go home. Anyway, I really love listening to y'all and I'm excited to see y'all grow the fan base. Stay true. Hey, CJ, thank you for the review. And I think that that stuff is really important. Me and Tazzy don't have no kids, but I know when I have, when I do get ready to birth a baby, that I'm going to want people that give a fuck. Yeah, um, that's, that's a pretty important part of it. <laughs> I mean, but there's so many, like she said, there's so many people that just want to do their job. Okay, yeah, great, your pussy look good, bye. You know? Thank you, Papa and Papa. I love you so. This one says, amazing. I started listening to Crime Junkies and subsequently got a wreck for Sisters Who Kill. This is exactly the vibe, energy, dynamic, everything that I need in a podcast. I love Mariah's singing and theater references, and Tazzy's commentary is literally everything that I be thinking. I recommend this pod. Wait, this is probably the same person. You I was going to say, did you just read the same thing? No, but I remember she said she said she left a review but wanted to come say something, huh? I'm weak. <laughs> Are you reading a review? Shout out to you, CJ. You made it on a podcast twice. You should just finish reading it. Um, or we can just end it right there. CJ made it on the podcast twice. Congratulations. She need know it. To everyone, keep calm, cuss on. Ladies, love, love, love. Keep calm, cuss on. I like that. All right, y'all. That's the end of the show. <laughs> If you guys want to keep up with us, if you want to email us fun reviews, if you want to email us case suggestions, if you want to email us telling us all of your business, if you want to email us to buy ad space for your business, your mama business, your auntie business, your best friend business, you can do that at sisters who kill podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at sisters who kill pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Podcast, on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill, in the discussion group, Sisters Who Kill Podcast discussion group. Please make sure that you are using nice language, and if you're using mean language, code it so that the whites don't hear. Anything else, friend? Talk to us, we talk back. Bye.